Welcome to Normalizing the Chaos. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaos Podcast. I'm your co-host, Sarah. I'm your other co-host, Samara. And we've taken some time off. It seems to kind of be hard, you know, to find time to always meet and record. And this is going to nicely interweave in our topic today, which is all about women and women in our unique role in life, in the workplace, in the family, the unique transitions we go through. But both Sam and I, as women, we have many, many roles that we fill. And sometimes it makes it hard to be able to honor commitments that we want to make. And hopefully going forward, I think we'll be better at being able to record on a more consistent basis. But okay, you dive in. Um, just sometimes it makes it difficult when we are like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. I have a plan. It's written down. This is how it's going to happen. Cause we have episodes planned out through the summertime. Um, that, that was what, what it was. However, life interjected and we just weren't able to record for about a month and a half, almost two months. Right. Yeah. Kids were sick, recovered from stuff, work stuff. It's just, it's hard. But, you know, that's also the beautiful part about being a woman is that we have the opportunity to fill so many unique roles in our life. And Sam has this like wonderful topic she's going to talk about where it's not necessarily about work-life balance, but it's more about work-life integration. And that sometimes when we see, I'm sure you're going to explain more on this, Sam, but I feel like when we think of the word balance, it's like they both have to be even. You kind of split your time and you find balance, but that's not how life works. I know for both you and I, we love our jobs. We love what we went to school for and it's highly integrated. Our work life is very much integrated into our personal life sometimes. And I think when you see the need to always split them and separate them, it can become hard. Mm-hmm. And a balance is, it's been shoved down, I feel like, for lack of a better phrase, down our throats. Well, you need to figure it out. You need to make it work. You have to have a balance. You need to engage in self-care. Okay, what does that mean, though? And if you're always going to try to strive for balance, we're never going to necessarily reach balance. Because <laughs> What does balance look like? Balance looks different for every single person. Absolutely. And so work-life integration, how do you integrate both? Some people use, they start their own business so that they can spend more time with their kids, or they chose the option to work from home indefinitely at this point because they realize that they're able to at least be present for homework or dinners or breakfast or routines in the mornings. And how do you integrate the two where you can be the best version of yourself in each aspect without feeling overwhelmed or burned out in each aspect Mm -hmm. and trying to find a balance 
you get lost in, well, I'm going to dedicate 50% of my time here and 50% of my time here. Well, what if one day you need to dedicate 80% at work? (laughs) Absolutely. And then guilt sets in because in your mind, you've set the standard of complete balance. And when that balance isn't met, it leads to guilt. It leads to shame. And as women, we tend to be empathetic creatures and it becomes heavy for us. And we feel like guilt can be so overwhelming, especially mom guilt. Um, and that's why I love Sam, the, the more of the concept of integration versus balance, because like you said, there's going to be days where you have to give more to one area than the other. And it's okay. Well, yeah. I mean, just think about in terms of us not being able to record for a couple of weeks, it was like, okay, it was a little stressful because we had topics, especially we wanted to touch some black history stuff. We wanted to touch some women's health. We had topics planned out, but then at the same time, it was like, in the bigger picture of things, stressing out about not being able to accomplish this is going to achieve what? Absolutely. And all it was going to achieve Absolutely. was more stress and more more what's the word I'm looking for more mm, not necessarily guilt in that aspect but more of a like I'm a failure kind of inner self-talk because we couldn't Mm -hmm. accomplish all the things we set out to accomplish and well people are a lot of women are guilty of that quite often and it's not a healthy space to be in well and you and I are both very achievement focused and sometimes that can get in the way because we have these standards we've set for ourselves, And when we don't meet them, it, I don't know. I mean, maybe on a much larger, in a larger scope, it kind of takes a bit away from our self-worth because we've set out to do these things we've committed. And I also want to touch on, even when you've committed to something with a friend and you're not able to fill, fill that commitment, there's that guilt there. But women, I want to tell you this. If you have friends in your life, where if you can't fulfill a commitment or you have to back out because of something, even, you know what, I think anything is legit because even if it doesn't seem legit or it seems like someone is quote unquote flaky, there's probably something going on in their life that is much bigger than you know, um, that you need friends in your life who are just compassionate and get you and there's no strings attached, which I think for both of us, we know, even if we go a month without recording, we're going to come back and just start up again and, you know, it doesn't mean all is lost, but sometimes people have friends in their life where that is the case. And right. that's not. And I think it's important to, um, I think there was a quote floating around on Instagram for a while that said this or some variation of this. Um, but essentially the friends where you, that will not take your distance personal are the best kind of friends that you can have because I'd rather you ask me, hey, are you okay? Or hey, what's up? Versus just assume that I'm intentionally being distant or intentionally being flaky or intentionally just trying to avoid ABCXYZ. And it's like, no, like, can you ask me first? Can you, before you just assume that I just don't want to be around or don't want to be your friend? And I think those friends are the most important, especially in terms of helping us integrate all aspects of our life and all the hats that we wear. Absolutely. Sam, what do you think is the best part of being a woman and what is a challenging part of being a woman? What was the first half? What's the best part? 
I think the best part is that we are able to live in this very unique duality of masculinity and femininity. Mm -hmm. So I can go to work and I can be the boss (laughs) and tell everybody what to do (laughs) in a very polite and therapeutic way, of course, Um, and handle what I need to handle. And people are coming to me asking questions, et cetera, et cetera. And then I can switch that off and then have my soft side, have to go want to go take a bath or, you know, get my nails done or get my hair done or be cuddled or be held or be kissed on. And I can do both. And it's not necessarily a hard transition all of the time. There are times where it can be difficult to transition. I'm just going to throw that out there and be as transparent as possible on that part. But other times it's easy. And I think that's the best part of being a woman. We do have that flexibility of being both that softness, that comfort, that empathy, and then can go into a different situation and be like, no, that's not happening. I'm not doing that. No, you're not doing that. That's wrong. (laughs) And standing firm in that and also not having this I think one of the challenges also in that is women have to fight kind of like the barrier and the stereotype of women are too emotional to be in positions of power. And sometimes I don't think there's anything wrong with having a little bit of emotion in being in a position of power, quite honestly. Um, I think, I I think it would make people stop and think a little bit more sometimes. And I think in terms of our country, um, before we got into a war, (laughs) if it was a woman, I think there would be a a little bit of a pause of, well, how many lives is this gonna impact? And who's, how many innocent people are gonna be in the way before it's just a, this is just what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think people mistake being a good leader and having a high level of emotional intelligence as not having emotion. And it's actually the complete opposite. There's a lot of different facets that go into EI, emotional intelligence. And it's about understanding your emotions, having awareness of them, being able to question where they're coming from, why you're having them, to avoid reaction in the moment, you know, and I and I, I agree with you. Women are actually excellent leaders. There was this awesome podcast I was listening to. Can't remember what it was, but I think her name is Barb or Barbara. I could be mistaken, but she's one of the sharks on Shark Tank. And she was explaining why women are actually such effective leaders because we do have a softer side and we're also able to meet and understand people's emotions a little bit better. Empathy tends to come a little bit easier for us. And that's not all the time. That's not true in every single case. Just if we're looking at a whole, if we're, if we're generalizing, like talking about research and generalizing and being able to put it on, you know, a population based level, um, that I do think hopefully more women over time will want to take those leadership roles and are not intimidated because they have emotions or maybe they're softer or think a little bit more before making a decision. So I agree with you. And I think, you know, and that can be a great segue into the second half of your question, which what's the worst part? And I think sometimes the worst part is I can, I can speak for myself and I feel like this may resonate with other people, but 
I don't always want to be the bigger person. <laughs> I don't always want to be the one who has to take the step back and either not necessarily stuff the feelings, but not just decide not to divulge in a conversation or pick a battle because you can kind of empathize with where the other person is coming from and or step out of a conversation because you recognize that you don't have the ability to have it and then you it's it's kind of like sometimes I feel like as women we lose our voice because we're trying to take care of everybody else all of the time Mm -hmm. and I think it's really important that we we keep our voice and that we teach the future generation how to keep their voice. And I, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure how we do that yet either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think another really challenging part of being a woman is the balance of feminine, being feminine and masculine. And especially like uh, certain ways that women practice self-care, self-love. There can be a lot of judgment from females on that. You know, um, whether, you know, as you get older, you want Botox, fillers, implants are actually really common. I never realized how common they were. And I'm going to be honest that, you know, being from the Midwest, I used to be very judgmental of that choice. And I've completely like let go of that judgment because I've realized it that's a very unfair judgment and kind of looking at myself and saying like, why are you being so judgmental? Maybe there's something you need to look at. Yeah. Um, but also being a female, maybe who is considered attractive and in a leadership role, maybe there's questions of how did she get there or can she be in this leadership position? And I mean, and I, you know, I don't think it just comes with a certain attraction level, but I do think it's challenging if there was a very good looking man and he was in a power position, nobody would ever have those thoughts going through their mind. When women take care of themselves and do things for themselves, oftentimes we use the word vain. When a man does it, probably that word doesn't even come to mind. Um, and that's not true because I'm sure there's plenty of men who who could disagree with that and think like, no, wait, I've, I've gotten so much flack for it. So, but I, I think that can be a challenging part um, of also being a woman in that balance. If a woman is really good in business and is giving you advice, she can be seen as aggressive mm-hmm. versus and there is a delicate balance. Women absolutely can teeter over into that aggressive territory. Um, but I think it's being very cautious as a female to support other females, other women. We, you know, we need to be there for each other. We need to care about each other, not just judge each other. I agree. And I think to piggyback on that, on the flip side, not every contrary to popular belief, <laughs> Not every mother has a maternal instinct either. Not really? every not every woman is meant to be a mother. Not every woman is meant to take on that role. Not every woman who's had a child necessarily wanted a child and therefore struggle with parenting. And there's nothing wrong with that. The issue that comes into play is when we put ideologies or we put judgment on those women of you need to be a better mother or or 
we just make the assumption that because, you know, they had this child that they wanted the child. So you just need to be better. It's it's not quite how it works. If we need to give people the ability to say, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing, nor do I really want to do this. So can you just kind of take this on without a judgment? And I think a lot, I, I wouldn't, that's a very big assumption to me. I take that back. I think some issues could be curbed and or resolved within our society if women were given the space to say without judgment, I don't really want to be a mom. Can you can you do this or can you help me or can this without this? Well, you gave birth, so you should be. And that kind of just takes away like not every that's not a thing. It's just not a thing. Um, and with our background, too, it is sometimes not knowing how to fill that role may or may not come from a place of trauma as well. Not knowing, having had an example or possibly becoming a mother came from trauma. Um, But also like, I think it just goes, you know, to show though too, when they say it takes a village to raise a child, it's so true. Mm -hmm. You can't be everything for you. Sometimes you need help from other people and that's okay. You have people in your life to fill roles that you can. And like you said, you know, if being nurturing is challenging for you, it doesn't mean you're a bad mom. Or if you choose not to have kids, that doesn't make you any less of a woman, you know? And I think people just have to learn to respect that everybody kind of, chooses to live life on their own terms and we need to respect and honor that. Right. And it does take a village. It takes a village of people to lift you up and build you up. It takes a village of people who are going to essentially save you from drowning, but you have to let people save you from drowning. And I say that with with caution as well. Because you have to make sure that your circle is solid. You have to make sure that your village is solid. You just can't have any random person trying to save you because they probably will push your head underwater. But if you know that your circle is solid and you are, you do find yourself in a position where you can't handle both or you're struggling in one area or you're just overwhelmed, then that's what that's what the village is for. And that's where you need to speak up and speak out and ask, say, hey, like I'm drowning and I need I need something either to pick me up, either to resuscitate me, send me a life raft. And no matter how far, it doesn't have to get as far as drown. It could be, I, I went out a little bit and I don't know how to tread water. So can you bring me back? It doesn't even have to be as intense as drowning. But I think a lot of the time we get caught up in, I'm supposed to be able to do it by myself. I have to be able to do it by myself. Someone told me that this is what it's supposed to be because that's what it is. And then Mm -hmm. never ask for help until you're already underwater and can't come up. Uh Absolutely. And then on that note too, I feel like ever, you know, people are always trying to give you their, their own damn opinion of like why they think something's going on, why they think something's happening. And if you find yourself surrounded by people who are always giving you their opinion and it definitely clashes with who you are as a person and your own choices and it's making you feel bad about yourself, you can also create distance between you and that person. Unsolicited opinions are not necessarily the greatest. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I think... I would say for sure new moms 
probably get the most unsolicited opinions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you can talk to that because I remember when you were pregnant, some of the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm a person, you know, okay, so when my daughter was, and for all of you women listening and you're not moms, I promise we're not going to just talk about being moms. It's just, you know, I got a 22 month daughter and that's, that's a big role of mine is mommy. And, um, when my daughter was like, I don't know, I mean, probably from the moment she was born through the first year, I was like, I need to go back to school to be a pediatrician so I can understand these things better. Cause there's, I'm that kind of person where I don't like knowing and feeling independent. I don't like feeling confused. Um, and there's so much about the newborn stage that nobody talks about that's really scary, but totally normal. And everybody wants to give you their own advice. Even like, I mean, for those of you listening, for some of you moms, you're going to be like, oh gosh, I can't believe you haven't been doing this. And then maybe some of you will be like, oh, no big deal. My daughter did not do well with vitamin D drops when she was little. Um, it really upset her stomach. So we haven't really done them. And I saw something on Instagram and I'm like, oh my God, I haven't been doing this. I'm like the worst mom in the world. And then I remembered my mom never did vitamin D drops with me. I'm okay. And I'm still standing and I'm alive. And it's like this unnecessary stress we put on ourselves. When Penelope was 18 months old, I remember waking up in the middle of the night, stressing about her language and thinking she was behind the curve. And she's not, she's right where she's supposed to be. And I like remember purchasing this course online. It's actually a really awesome course. If anybody wants, it's like speech sisters. Um, they have like this online course, but it's, it was really helpful. Um, but I remember just stressing out about it because people tell you about all these milestones. And I'm, I worked in regular pediatric OT for years. And even then, like as a mom, now you realize like development doesn't follow this linear trajectory. Like there are, it's so variable. And now I feel like I'm in a place where I'm just like, she's perfect the way she is. She's exactly who she's supposed to be. And I want to honor who she is. And as she gets older and, you know, even when she's a teen and she's super spicy, um, you know, but it, it is being a mom is hard. Everybody's trying to give you their opinion. If your kid is struggling in an area, someone's going to tell you, well, it's because you didn't do this or you, you know what? And sometimes it's just because your kid is marching to the beat of their own drum. You, it's not about you, mom, you're doing a great job. Kids and Sam and I know this, you know, from our clinical background, kids just need to be loved. They need safety, security, stability, routine, and to be loved and cared for. That's what they need. They don't need all the expensive toys. They don't need X amount of naps every single day. Not every kid needs the same amount of naps, you know, throughout toddlerhood. Like they all organic pea soup. Organic (laughs) pea soup. Oh my gosh. When something came out about some of the baby brands having like toxic stuff in their products because the FDA came out and I searched into more and it was like 2017 when all these reports were made guys it's 2021 remember to check dates but anywho like I mean my mom's group was texting about it and one of the pouches of the brands my daughter loves it keeps her regular so we don't have to do prune juice and I remember thinking like oh my god what if like neurotoxins and it's caused all this you know what she's fine it's fine it's fine and it's okay. 
Um, yeah. And as a mom, I worry way more than my husband. And sometimes I get so annoyed that he's not concerned. And, um, but sometimes my concern is really unnecessary. Um, so yeah. And then that's hard because then I need to sometimes shift into the role of teaching at the university and be super confident. And I have everything together and I can give this advice and teach these things. And then when I adapt this stuff into my own personal life, sometimes it looks a little bit more chaotic and, you um, know, it's like, yeah. the I know. Man, it's hard. And you can have the most chaotic morning in the world where your kids like throwing her pancakes at you. And then you have to go and give a lecture. Like, here's a great example. Two weeks ago, I was helping in our vaccine clinic and um, this super kind lady came up to me and they all know we're faculty helping. And I sat on a chocolate chip of one of Penelope's pancakes and it looked like I had poop on the back of my (laughs) pancake. And I had to make, I felt like I needed to make this really big deal. Oh, my toddler's pancake chocolate chip. Cause you know, and it's just like, yeah. Anywho. Nobody nobody probably actually cared or really cared. Totally. And you just carry on with life. And I think the the hardest, like one of the other harder things, which, and I think most fields talk about it, but I know in psych we do is this feeling of imposter imposter syndrome. Yes. And when you're trying to find that work life, personal life integration, sometimes there's imposter syndrome. People ask me to guest lecture or to speak on stuff. And I think about like the argument I just had an hour ago and I was like, I couldn't even handle that. And you want me to talk about what to 200 people (laughs) are you sure that it's me that you want to do that for and yes because I do know what I'm talking about because I do have I did I did go to school I do stay up with current research I do read I do so I know what I'm talking about I'm qualified and it's just sometimes we get lost in well this went really poorly though so how can I still be as competent in this end and that's where you find the integration. Some days, some areas are going to be stronger than others. And other days, it just, it just is what it is. And Absolutely. I had found a quote that kind of talked about like the duality of women um, that I thought was really good. And I just want to read it for you guys. It just says, we need women who are so strong, they can be gentle, so educated, they can be humble, so fierce, they can be compassionate so passionate they can be rational and so disciplined that they can be free um I love that yeah you know and for all those women out there you know um because obviously Sam and I are at similar points in our lives um when it comes to education and job and things like that but if you are a woman where you're a stay-at-home mom that's great And, you know, um, and your difficulty with integration or quote, you know, balance in your life is going to look really different from us. Or if you're um, in your early 20s and listening and you're still trying to figure out who you are, um, that's okay too. And you can still have imposter syndrome even in, in those areas of your life too. I mean, even as a new mom you think about, am I qualified? Or, um, 
you know, there's, there's all sorts of ways that you can apply that same principle into your life, even if you're not in a similar place um, to Sam and I. Yeah. I mean, foster parents, adoptive parents, it's the same type of like, are you, am I sure I can do this? I know I signed up. I know they signed off on it, but mm. when you're in a new relationship, when you're dating, am I good enough for this person? Right. Am I, am I healed enough? I feel like that should be the new, am I good enough? Am I healed enough to be in this relationship? Have I worked through my traumas? Have I worked through my struggles? Am I, Am I willing to work through my traumas and my struggles? Because there's a constant, it's constant balance. Um, yeah. And I also think, you know, it's a good point to touch on, you know, women that are not necessarily in the workplace or and chose to stay at home or maybe have a chronic illness and don't have that option. There's also trying to find an integration of who you are as a person versus just your role as being the person running a household. That gets... From personal experience, for the little bit of time that I did that, that gets played out very quickly, <laughs> very, very quickly. It's, it's, there has to be a balance between who you are as a person and then that household that you're consistently running and that person that you're always on for, or it has to be a balance between that chronic illness that's secretly or slowly eating you up on the inside for lack of a better phrase, um, and who you are as a person. Your illness doesn't define you being a stay-at-home mom, doesn't define you being just a non-working person, doesn't define you being a working person, doesn't define you. Because sometimes your job would like to lead you to believe that that is your only position and role in life sometimes. Absolutely, Sam. You know, and I feel like as a occupational therapist, I have to speak to the value of occupation and occupation is anything that you choose to engage in that you need to do, want to do, love to do, whether it is going to the gym and exercising or taking a pottery class or, you know, taking a dance class or just finding a hobby of some kind. I think it's really important that whoever you are, you know, whatever aspect you are or point you are in, in your life, that you have something that you do just for you, that you have an occupation that is simply done to fulfill something in your own life. It's not something that creates a product for anyone else, whether it's, you know, taking a dance class or going to the gym or pottery or knitting or crocheting or, you know, whatever it may be, you still need something that is there for you because especially for individuals who are their primary role is caretaking, whether you're a mom or you're a caretaker of a parent or a loved one or anyone else, when you care for others, you will experience burnout. You are also going to experience it's a transition point in your life where you no longer are caring for or caring as much for other people. And when you don't have something that's just for you, it makes that transition immensely more challenging. And I've actually known multiple women and most of these women were stay-at-home moms and then their kids went to school and they felt really depressed. Um, so much so that they were truly experiencing depression. And medication can be absolutely wonderful. Therapy is absolutely wonderful. But you also have to take a look at your own life and say, 
what do I engage in for me? And two of the women I know, they actually just chose to go back to work and they felt immensely better um, because they were doing something for them. They had more of their own identity. They had something to look forward to. Well, so. and because for so long, especially for, um, and at least in cases that I know for women that were either out of work for a long time due to illness or out of work because they raised, they chose to raise kids and they had four back to back. Mm-hmm. that became, that becomes your identity. So when that's gone and that's no longer there, it's kind of like, well, then, well, who am I? Yep. And it's refinding out who you are over and over again. And that also is, is what happens in relationships. Cause we grow as people. We're supposed to change. We are supposed to change. If someone tells you you've changed, it's a good thing. Or well, unless you change for the bad, but for the most part, we're supposed to change. And we have to, we don't have to do anything, but we should (laughs) learn to work with one another in that growth and finding new identities and finding new pieces of yourself and finding a new way to integrate those new pieces. And being okay with the change. I mean, even for me, I mean, I've had so many changes throughout my career, started out in home health, working pediatrics, transitioned into working for a school for the deaf, transitioned into working for trauma, went full academia, doing mental health program development, all these things. And over the years, my interests have changed. They've always been surrounded in the interest of mental health. But even for me, for so long, and I still, 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 Sam, I I love trauma, trauma trauma-informed care, working with individuals. However, that has become a much less part of my own identity. And I've been moving into other areas a little bit more. And even that shift has made me question, well, this is who you've been for so long. This is, this was your area. Why are you giving it up? Why are you finding new, new interests? And I think that there's a struggle there, even with change and honoring that change comes because sometimes it's necessary, but don't always hold back. Sometimes just allow the change to happen and enjoy that period too. And I would say also to have confidence in that change because you will hear from the outside, are you sure? Are you sure? I mean, I originally went to school to get my bachelor's in nursing and I was at the, I had a year left and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I had a lot of pushback. What do you mean you don't want to do this? Are you sure? I feel like you're just struggling. I feel like you don't understand. And I was like, no, I really don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Can you just let me change my major? And it was it was school that was giving me pushback the most. And it was like, I didn't say I was dropping out. Like I just said I wanted to switch career paths. And when you're getting that pushback, don't don't let that pushback discourage you if you really feel in your heart and your soul like this is this is the direction I need to go in. Absolutely. And to that point, if you are working in an area, you're going to school for a certain area and you are struggling and it's not interesting you, chances are you're meant to do something else. And that's okay. Thanks. I hated chemistry. I got C's in chemistry. I wanted to go to school to be a PT. I needed to come for being a PT and it just felt like it was so hard. And then I was shadowing PTs. It wasn't for me. And then all of a sudden OT just like just showed up and I, I found my home. I found where I was meant to be and thrived. But again, failure doesn't always mean 
you're a failure at life, sometimes failure or struggles are there to say, hey, this isn't your path. We've tried to give you subtle signs that this isn't your path. And now you're going to have some big stop signs saying your path. Let's kind of redirect your energy and push you towards an area that's going to fulfill you and give you, you know, a high quality of life over time. Absolutely. Or even, even just the people that would try to plant seeds of doubt. I remember when I said I wanted to do trauma work with kids and it was like, that's, that's so scary. Or that's so intense. Or are you sure? How are you going to have the mental capacity to control? Can you just please get out of my face. That's my response for, for good or for bad. Sometimes my personality can be very direct and very just like, I don't really care what you have to say. But if I had let even that, that fear of other people project onto me, I would have shied away from something that I love doing. Absolutely love that. I do not want to stop being an advocate for children that I, I, I just don't, that's just what I want to do. Um, and with that, you know, in trying not to, what's the word, trying to silence the noise, silence the white noise. Um, I think sometimes it's better that we walk alone in darkness in order to find our path, or instead of walking in someone else's shadow or in someone else's belief of who we are and who we should be and what we should be doing. And that's a scary place to be sometimes. But I think that we as women have the ability because of the ability to live in that duality of femininity and masculinity, we have the ability to walk in the darkness by ourselves, knowing that there is light at the other end, knowing that there is light in darkness. That is that is within us already. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that naturally because we are empathetic, because we do care about other people's feelings, because we do want to people please sometimes. Um, but in finding your own path and figuring out how to integrate work and life and integrating who you are and exploring various parts of yourself, sometimes that requires to walk alone in the dark. Love that, Sam. And with that, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Chaos Podcast. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.